I'm super excited today because I have a guest and she's a very special guest. She is my best friend that I've known for, I don't know, five years. I have to find that out for sure, but we are a couple of crazy ultra runners and we met on Facebook and she lives in another state and I actually went and traveled to meet her in person and we ran a really difficult 50k race together in the rain in the mountains and we finished right before the, the uh, cutoff time so we're pretty proud about that race which um, actually that was in 2017 so I think we had known each other maybe since 2016 but anyway her name is Faith and she is a homeschool mom and her kids are like mine almost grown and as you might imagine being best friends we talk a lot about our kids and our marriages and our lives and our past and our future and you know we get pretty deep and sometimes uh, you know we actually figure things out so we decided to record a conversation um, to share with other people that we think might be helpful and I hope you will listen to it and see if there's any little little things in there that you might be able to use in your life if not you can just listen along and hopefully be entertained and I think you'll be able to tell from her accent where Faith lives and you already know where I live so (laughs) it's kind of a, a fun relationship that we have so anyway thanks for listening enjoy the show So we were just talking about, right, right. How, how did we get here in our menopausal, middle-aged, married life? Right. Living the dream. <laughs> so start where you want to start. Okay. So I guess where I want to start is with the blame game. I'm good at the blame game. This isn't my fault. This is somebody else's fault. If you would have, right? If my parents would have, if my teachers would have, if my husband would have, if my kids would have, the would haves, right? Right. If If my kids would just. If Eve hadn't just, you know, if Eve hadn't done that in the garden. Well, it's it, it's not even just Eve. It's always been from day one, since I guess since day one, this issue of control, right? Because God said to Adam, don't do that. Mm-hmm. 
And he kind of dropped the ball because instead of listening to God, he listened to his wife. And his wife, instead of listening to God or her husband, listened to a deceiver. It's typical, right? Yeah. So there, these these deceivers come in all shapes, sizes, costumes, masks, and you don't even realize it until you can take a step back and actually look at it. And so the blame game needs to, you know, that buck that stops here. You know, yeah. it's like I, I was thinking a lot about, you know, the plank in someone else's eye. and you know, No, this, the plank in your eye compared to the speck in someone else's eye. Mm-hmm. And how we're trying to do everything correct. If everyone would just cooperate and do what we want them to do. Right. We're waiting for <laughs> other people. We're waiting for other people to do what they should do so then we can make everything perfect. Right. Or so that we can be happy. Yeah. And that, you know, and that's bullshit. It's wrong. You know, it's just, it's just wrong. And it's something that we learn to do very, very young. If my mom would just let me stay up an extra half hour, I could watch my TV show, but she's not going to let me. So I'm going to be mad. Yeah. Um, if, but, but you know, not every family is like that, but that's how I think every person in, in, you know, in some respect has this in their sin nature, maybe not to the extreme. Well, teenagers and little kids, two-year-olds, they're all going to look for the boundaries and, well, so are 56 and 57-year-old women who've been home <laughs> for many years yeah. and, you know, trying to produce a product that we're not even sure what that product is. But, I mean, I know your childhood and you've told me that you didn't have a whole lot of guidance. So you didn't you didn't have boundaries to keep you safe. So you had to create your own safety. And I think that's where, that's where some of this all comes from. I think so. And I think we found partners that also had the same type of situation. Mm -hmm. And they also were looking for that stability and safety and a place to feel at home. But I mean, the mess that was created definitely came. And I think like Mark and I, we're in a good place right now. But it had to a lot to do with me owning up to my side of this and not thinking that everything that went on in our life was because, you know, he fell below the mark or the kids fell below the mark or my parents fell below the mark or you know, society fell below the mark or whatever it is. And to take responsibility for the fact that, okay, my life didn't need to be so stressful. 
I so could have, was you it know, a mental shift? Was it a mental shift? Yeah, and I think a it realization. Just, I think it. I think it is a mental shift. With especially like yesterday, we were listening to that um, speaker, and she said, "What's your obstacle? What's mm-hmm. your goal? What's your obstacle?" And I never thought of things like that before. What is my goal, and what is the obstacle? And a lot of times for me, the goal in itself is murky. Mm -hmm. What is the goal? If you can't, if you can't name the goal, everything is an obstacle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what, what exactly are we trying to do is has to be figured out. Right. And, you know, I think one of the things that like for me, I've always been a very spiritual person and I wanted to do the right things. I always wanted God to be happy with me, Mm -hmm. you know, pleased with what I was doing. And there are a lot of wolves running around in sheep's clothing who I felt knew more what God wanted for me than I knew because how was I supposed to know? (laughs) Right. You know? Well, they were, they were authority figures and they sounded good. Yes. It made sense, right? Get married, have kids stay monogamous those are all good things you know don't don't drink too much don't do drugs work hard um but but because of our own you know personal personalities and you know gaps in our upraising you know just because of who we are the way we interpret, you know, things, we might take it to the extreme or we, cha- we change it to fit what works for us. And, you know, I know for me that meant I was pretty extreme fundamentalist, you know. I know, like I'm thinking we should go on TikTok as ex-fundamentalist homeschooling moms. <laughs> And talk about the trauma that we went through, you know, (laughs) you know, just feeling like so um, that didn't last very long for me because I really didn't like do I didn't like seeing what I actually saw happening. And that was really uncomfortable for me. But I had my own walk that I had to deal with. And that was something that like. Yes, I wanted to be part of a church community and I wanted to be my kids to be part of the homeschool community, but the expense of it was way too much for me at that point. And I pulled back and now I'm glad I did because I see like, because it was super, super, there was some crazy stuff going on and that was just not acceptable. It was just not good, you know? And neither one of of us are, you know, um, we just don't go along with something once we figure out that it's not right. You know, we, yeah, it was like super culty. And now, you know, it's like, I was a little close to seeing how culty it was, 
Mark was just like, no way, run. And I was like, okay, because I trust him, you know? So that's where I saw a lot of this control issues coming into play and hypocrisy. There's always going to be hypocrisy when there's humans. I mean, to a, to an extent, it's acceptable, but not to that extent when your children are on the line. But I mean, really, seriously, could we have made our lives easier? There were a lot of ways we could have made our lives easier. You know, there just were. And we chose not to for some reason. And I think in some respects, our husbands got worn out. Yeah. You know, and they need the same tolerance and acceptance and encouragement that we wanted for ourselves. And that doesn't mean to become like completely codependent and spoon feeding and what's the word I'm looking for? I'm coddling of them. It means that we need to be strong enough to say, hey, you know, you need to be the best you you can be so I can be the best me I can be. And I'm going to be the best me that I can be so that you have the freedom to be the best you can be. And if you don't want to be, that's your problem. I can't rescue you from dropping your own ball. And you can't rescue me because I dug the hole. So now I need to dig out of the hole. Yeah, I agree with that. So what are some of the holes? Some of the holes are, you know, way back when did we need to have as many children as we had? Probably not. But they're here. So we're going to love them with every ounce of our being because that's who we are. Right? Of course. But we're supposed to get, you know, we're not supposed to do this all by ourselves. It's okay to get help. Sure. It's okay not to be superwoman or superman. Yeah. I I definitely know that I was following a plan that I had in my mind of I want lots of kids and no one's going to raise them in a daycare center, but I'm going to take care of them and, and I'm going to protect them from all the bad guys in the world. And my husband is going to provide for us. And I didn't really think about how hard that would be on him. Right. And I think that's a big reason why a lot of homeschool marriages just break up. The burden is very heavy in this culture. I don't think the culture is set up the way it used to be. It's, it's set up so that women used, you know, we were more communal beings. We didn't start out being separated. This is like an American thing, separated all over the country or There's even no... even in a neighborhood, we right? are in inside our houses. You know, I know there's some neighborhoods where peop the women actually become friends and stuff, but you know, a lot of times, 
if all the women are working and you're at home as a stay home mom with all your babies, you don't have anyone. Mm -mm, You don't. And it's like, even within the church, as soon as you walk in, Oh, you have a lot of kids. Oh, you can teach Sunday school because you want to be with more kids on the weekend. (laughs) Yeah. Not it's like that. Oh, it should be. You need a break. Yeah, yeah. You need a break here. Right. You you go to Sunday school. We'll watch your kids. We'll watch the babies and we'll bring them to you if they if they need you. Um, same, but these, you know, we didn't <sighs> well we I think we both grew up in a in a don't ask for help environment, or else we just maybe that was just our personality. And you know. I wanted to be very independent. So even when I needed help, I didn't want to ask. I don't know. I don't really know. I think back and I'm like, did I just want to be an asshole? You know, did I just want to be like, look, I have to do everything. And I'm so worn out and nobody helps me. Did I seek out people to help me? Sometimes. But did I really like push it or did I ask and then be like okay whatever I'll do it myself well there's probably both yeah because I I can do everything a lot of of times (laughs) I think I didn't trust someone else to do it right right well there's that too or you didn't like the way somebody said something or whatever I was pretty judgy about stuff like that too you know, and I mean, I didn't even trust my own mother when I, with my first child, I was like, oh, she doesn't, you know, here she had six kids and I'm like, oh, she, well, she doesn't know the modern ways of doing things. <laughs> she, she's feeding my child, you know, red number two. And, you know, I only feed him all natural foods, you know. And she didn't breastfeed her kids, so surely she's not, she wasn't a good mother like me. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what they say about paybacks on that one, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was a total. But my mother being, being the most awesome woman that she is, she kept on helping me anyway. (laughs) Yeah, but mine didn't. Like, my my mom was very um, hands-off. I think she saw they saw the kids, like, two or three times a year. We lived with her, like, the first eight months when my first one was born. And they, like, made themselves so scarce. They just, mm-hmm. like, you know, just, like, they just, like, this is your baby. You do you. You know, we're going out to play bingo. See ya. You know, it was that kind of thing. They were very helpful when I needed to go back to work. Um, I would work in the morning. You know, I'd go in super early. And Mark was working nights. And, you know, I would... He would come home, have the baby for a couple hours, and then my parents would take her for a few hours, and then I'd meet them after work when I went back to work. And we did that for about six months. But once she could start moving around, it was no longer, they couldn't keep her in their store while they have, you know, it was just stupid. So. So you quit working? 
Well, we moved here because he lost his job. It was crazy. He was working in New Jersey. I was working in Brooklyn. That wasn't conducive to our relationship anyway and having a family. So we ended up moving here. And he had lost his job and I had to leave mine. So it was just, you know, it was chaos from the beginning. Okay, so tell me. What made you think it was a good idea to keep having children, even when you were under so much stress? Because I think that is a really important question. Well, I think when we had the first one, we really enjoyed her so much that we wanted a second one. <laughs> you know, and I know. By that well, two, point, he two, had two kids. Right. Two kids by that point, he second. had a good job. When she came around, he had a good job. Well, we thought it was a good job. We thought it was a forever job. He worked for a very large, I can say the name, right? He worked for yeah, IBM. Yeah. yeah. You know, so we never in a million years thought that IBM was going to fold. Who would have thought that? Right. Or who would have thought that IBM was really not a well-paying job? Right? Yeah. It's always early tech, right? I mean... Yeah, it was, you know, it was, but it was still manufacturing and what we didn't, we didn't know a lot of stuff. We were young, you know, we were kids, 23 and 21. We were young. Well, the world was changing a lot. And the world was rapidly changing. And the idea of a stay at home mom wasn't so outrageous. And there were no daycare centers either. So, you know, there was one in our area and it was filthy and it stunk. And there was like eight babies to each caretaker. And there were just like lines of high chairs and lines of changing. It was disgusting. So did you work after your second was born? No. No, I went back to work after the third baby was born for a very short period of time. And it became very clear that it was just too chaotic for our family. And when we sat down and did the math, we actually came out in the hole. Because of childcare? Well, no, because he was working night shift. I was working during the day. He was exhausted because he'd come home from work and need to go to bed. Meanwhile, the kids are just getting up. Right? Yeah. So And they were little. There was three of them under five. It wasn't like you could just throw a TV on and go to bed. You couldn't, you know, they were babies. Yeah. So when we figured it all out, it was like we would have ended up owing money at the end of the month, even without daycare, because you had to have a car on the road. You had to have clothes. You had to have, you know, food was different. Mm -hmm. It was stupid. Okay, so... The world was not set up the same, right? The world wasn't set the same. No, it wasn't. When when did you decide to homeschool and what led to you having seven kids? I mean, Uh, I know that's a big question. I didn't want to homeschool. I kicked and screamed and didn't want to do it. I did not want to homeschool. He wanted us to homeschool. Okay. Because that, he was. That's interesting. Yes. You know, that the man, usually it's the woman. 
Yeah, I did not want to homeschool. And I remember saying to one of the women in the homeschool groups who was like really touting it as being the best thing since sliced bread, blah, 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 blah. And I just look at her and I remember saying, I just keep getting the feeling that misery loves company. (laughs) It really was like the last thing I wanted to do. However, I saw the writing on the wall, like my husband saw the writing on the wall. My oldest kid was not making the right friends. And she was only in fourth grade. And I could just tell that she was just gravitating to the wrong bunch. And I didn't like that they separated kids, didn't let them, like my oldest one wanted to walk her sister to her classroom, which was just two doors down from her classroom. And they totally forbid it. They didn't let her. Um, So it would be like you'd work the whole summer to get them to have a great relationship. They'd be back on the school bus and in a week they were fighting and killing each other. And I so didn't like that. Say, would you say that even though you didn't necessarily want to homeschool, your values did not align with the public school? Yes. And I saw there were issues. I saw there were issues raising. I probably would have handled the issues by being much more of a present parent at the school. I was there all the time. I was at the school all the time. I was volunteering. I was doing programs at the school. I was... Um, you know, going in and making copies for the teachers. I was doing whatever I could do to be a part of what was going on at school so that the kids knew that I was involved. I was super involved, PTA, um, all of it, reading programs, volunteering, working with newer moms. That wasn't enough for Mark or did you? I wasn't in the classroom and wasn't every day. And we had another baby coming and it was just, it was a lot. So. So how did the conversation go? Okay. You're going to homeschool. No, I don't want to. uh, Yeah. Pretty much like that. He's like, well, it wasn't like that. He he didn't say you're going to homeschool. He's like, I really think that we should homeschool. And I was pretty much, well, we means me, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, this is how that came about. My third child was in nursery school at the time. I'm a bookkeeper. And I worked for a nursery school. And part of my pay was that my kids could go to nursery school, which was very expensive, according to how much money we made. Okay, so you mean like preschool? Yeah, preschool. Okay. So they can start at three. They went at three years old and four years old. I knew the teachers because they worked for you know I worked for the same school I did their books uh-huh. so and was this at a church or yeah it was in a church okay and so Ingrid went when she was three and four and then the next child York he went when he was three and four he was four Ingrid was in first grade and she still couldn't read now, with my first child, when she was three and a half, I taught her to read because it, I didn't know better. And we just taught her to read. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so by the time she got to school, she already knew how to read, but they weren't going to let her read because she had to do what all the other children were doing. So instead of reading, she'd get in trouble, <laughs> you know, because she already knew how to read. So she, her- she didn't want to sit there and say, Yes. And she didn't want to color. She didn't like coloring. She wanted to draw her own pictures because as she said, she had her own brain. 
So, <laughs> okay. So that's, that's what I was dealing with, with kid number one. Kid number two was very compliant and lovely and whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And so I did purposefully did not teach her how to read because I didn't want her to be bored and crazy. The school, however, didn't teach her how to read either. So, so by the time we got to the second half of first grade, I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. She's six. She's almost seven years old. She could learn to read. It's not that hard. She's going to get it. Let's just sit down. So at that point, we were, there was all kinds of like social engineering programs going on in the school. You know, um, just say no was a big one. Um, and Project Charlie, you can do some Google researching on Project Charlie. Self-esteem program, programming. Everyone gets a trophy. I am wonderful. I am great. Everything I do, kiss my, kiss my butt, you know. This was the late, late 80s, right? Yeah. So, no, it's the early 90s. So, oh, and drug awareness programming, DARE program. That was a big one, too. In first grade. So lots of social programming, but don't teach them how to read. Yeah, pretty much. So, you know, No Child Left Behind wasn't a thing. It was like some other program. I forget. Well, I think they they were trying to teach them how to read by the whole language model. It was whole language and it was a little phonics thrown in and cursive handwriting from the start. It was the beginning of illiteracy, the return or the worst illiteracy, illiteracy that America has ever seen. Yeah, pretty much. And I wasn't into that because um, I have a very strong educational, um, I sound like a moron right now because I can't get my words out. Aptitude. You're you're, you're not even, you're a learner. I believe in education. I have a strong belief in education. I think education is freedom. And I think that if you're uneducated and unable, but I don't believe that education is social programming. I believe it's teaching children to argue and think. Yes. And how to learn. And to to read. How to get, (laughs) how to find, you know, be resourceful, find information. Right. And I I don't believe self-esteem comes from everybody getting the same thing. It, you know, self-esteem comes from working hard and making progress. Even if you're not, you know, it's okay to, to suck at something that you like to do. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with failure. You know, failure can teach you all kinds of things about yourself. It's about character building. So anyway, now, one kid, one kid came home. One, one kid came home and said, I, we didn't do math today. And she was all excited. Well, why didn't you do math today? Well, because we learned about crack instead and went on to tell me all about what crack was, what it looked like, how you look when you smoke it. How this is in elementary school. This was fourth grade. Yeah. So how old are you in fourth grade? Uh, 10, eight or nine. Yeah. Young. Yeah. Pre-puberty. It was before puberty. Mm Mm-hmm. And my husband flipped. He was not happy. He was like, this is not something, you know, that, you know, he's like, first off, the worst thing that that happened was we had no idea it was coming. There was no permissions granted. 
Nobody said this is what we're going to talk about. Then there was lice head breaks, outbreaks, lice outbreaks in the school. Mm. Mm. Over and over and over again, we kept getting notes home. And fine, and I was pregnant with number four, and I had two girls here with long, thick hair, and I was flipping. We didn't get it because I think we have that curly hair that they don't like. But I would put this kid in braids that was so tight. Her, it looked like she had a facelift. And she was always sitting next to the kid that had the lice. And I was like, that is it. I'm going to the school. I was like, I want her seat changed. Oh, no, we're not going to do that because that will ostracize that child. I'm like, this kid is already ostracized. You know? Yeah, do, do something, you know, help the kid. Go help the parent who was an older parent. I was like, you guys aren't helping here. Here's, here's a single dad who's an older parent who needs some help. And instead, you're just torturing everybody. Mm. You know? So anyway, lo and behold, it was just like one of the... She ta- I went to the teacher. The teacher turned around and said to me, how dare she go over my head and tell you something that went on in my classroom? Ah. That was it. I was that- done. So you saw how things really worked and you're like, <laughs> this, this is not good. No, I was done. That was it. So I just said to Mark, I was like, okay, if I can teach Ingrid to read over Easter vacation, then okay. Because if I can do that, if I can teach a child to read, then I could do whatever else needs to be done. Right. Because that was like my big thing. Can I teach them to read? Mm-hmm. So I taught her to read up to a third grade reading level in 10 days. <laughs> and at the same time, I taught my four-year-old to read up until a third grade reading level in those same 10 days. <laughs> wow. And by the end of the year, she had a fifth grade reading level. She just needed someone to teach her. She just needed to learn. She needed to just sit down and just learn how to read. It really was not brain surgery. Mm-hmm. It was just like, hey, we're going to learn how to read. Okay. And did we do it? You know, how did we do it? We played in the dirt outside. I wrote letters in the dirt because Jesus did that, right? <laughs> <laughs> and we play, We wrote words on the bathtub. And we wrote words on the refrigerator. And we had little whiteboards. And it really was not that hard. We sat and we read books all day. I let her read the words that she thought she could read. I read the rest of the words. I'd read a sentence. She'd read a sentence. It, it wasn't that hard. It was, it was, had you, had you done anything prior to that? Or were you just assuming that she was going to learn at school? Like most. Yes, parents? we did all the things. We did all the things. We did all the homework. We did all the flashcards. I figured, okay, let's learn it the way they're learning it. Yeah, but, did all of but, but once, once she came home, then you had a lot more time and, and just more conscious. She wasn't stressed. I yeah. think she was stressed out in school. She, you know, she was not, she didn't love being there. The older one was fine. She did not love being there. It was very stressful for her. You know, so how, but, did, how did your oldest react to being pulled out? She was thrilled. So neither mm-hmm. one of them wanted to be there really. Uh-uh. 
they were so happy and they were done with schoolwork by like 10 o'clock in the morning had the whole day to play and they were with each other and we had things we had other you know people that homeschooled that we knew and it was a, a really nice time in our lives I don't think it was a very nice time for Mark though thinking back Why I think not? it was very stressful for him because he had the whole burden it was all on him you mean financially? Yeah. That's a big thing. Financially is a big thing. We were building a house. Well, you had all the kids. Yeah. So are you saying that you you should have been making money and raising the kids? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That was the whole point of why we were having this conversation. <laughs> you know? <laughs> It's like how much, you know, we had four kids at that point. Maybe I should have been making money. I think I was making money. I think I was working. I worked for the nursery school. I made money there. I did daycare. I made some money there. I always made money. But his burden was heavier. Well, traditionally, the man is supposed to be stronger and carry the burden, right? At least that's what we... I don't know. I think that we carried pretty heavy burdens between being pregnant and nursing and, you know, all the stuff that goes along with that and being caregivers and taking care of family and holding things together and cleaning every... I mean, there was a billion, billion things we did, but I don't think I recognized the sacrifices that he also made. And it doesn't so, matter so, if he recognizes the sacrifices that I made. That's not the point. The point is, is that I need to take responsibility for my thoughts and my actions. Okay, so you're not saying that you would have done it necessarily done it differently. Just that you didn't at that time, you didn't fully appreciate and understand what he was going through. Yes. I think I, I wish that in hindsight, I wish that I had had more compassion on both of us, not just him, but on me as well. Well, that's I wish I would have had, huh? That more compassion is always good. Yeah. But I wish I would have had more on myself and more on him. How do you think that would have changed things? I think that it would have waylaid a lot of the problems that we had in communication with each other. What happens in a in family situations when there's even two children or even one child is that when you both get exhausted you can't help each other because you're both one out. And there needs to be a way to rejuvenate. And I think the way to that is having compassion on both you and your partner. And reaching out and getting help when you need it. It's really hard. 
to be creative in that respect. Okay, so let's think about, let's think about what do you think it was that caused you not to see and not to have that compassion during that time? Was it, was it your um, false beliefs that you held? Yeah, I thought I should be able to do it all. I thought he should be able to do his side without getting in, you know, yes. It never occurred to me that we were supposed to have community to jump in and give us a hand or that we should be community and jump in and help somebody. We did a lot of helping other people. I, you know, I think we did. I don't know. I, I don't know. I think some of it's a maturing process. that's easy to look back on mm-hmm. later on and say, you know, but I know I went through a lot of a, a long period of time where there was just a lot of resentments built up all over the place. And those resentments needed to be broken down step by step by step. And taking responsibility for my own action in that was really important. Well, we were talking earlier about how we came into, you know, our marriages with expectations, with beliefs, with needs, And, you know, I think we, at least in my marriage, it was, it worked okay until we got too uh, burdened, as you say, you know, as you put it, once we reached the point where we were barely making it financially and, you know, I was like, why can't you make more money? And he was like, I'm doing the best I can. And like you said, I didn't have compassion I was like I was trying to hold you know feed the family buy the kids what they needed and you know uh, achieve this this perfect idea that I had in my mind and not just I wasn't accepting hey this is he's doing the best he can and that that created resentment in me towards him that lasted for years because I was blaming him for not making enough money. But, but really, you know, he really was doing the best he could in that economy with, with a large family. Right. And, and, their, you know, and their burden is big. They didn't get to spend the type of time with their children that maybe they would have wanted to. And relationships can suffer easily by that. Yeah, and at the same time, they were starting to resent us because we weren't appreciating them. At least, you know, I feel like John, he was pretty, he was pretty patient, you know. But I know there was times when he felt like I wasn't, I just didn't understand what he was going through, you know, and that I didn't appreciate him. I don't think we did understand I don't think I, I don't think I don't think that we did really understand. I don't think I did anyway. I well, just we were too busy. <laughs> yeah, it was more of like I think in those times when the children were all home and even after like the first one started to move out and the younger ones started to get older. 
it was just do the next thing. What's the next most important thing that I have to do? And there was even if there was a break in it, it would be like you couldn't relax into the break because you knew that as soon as you relaxed into the break, something was going to shit the bed. Something. Right. We had lived in survival mode for so long. Right. And, and and also for us, we were we were always like behind the eight ball financially. And even if we, like you said, if we got a little money, then something would break. Right. Right. And that still happens. Right. And it wasn't just money. It was health things. Mm-hmm. You know, when his health started to get more fragile, that was scary to me. And my reaction to that instead of compassion was anger how dare you not stay healthy how dare you put your life on the line or not take care of yourself right because we need you you know and it wasn't even just financially we expected a lot (laughs) well it wasn't just fine you know only financially it was more you know what's the word we just needed them to be there and be able yes and to be healthy and to be vibrant and to be a partner Mm -hmm. and then you fall into this different place that I felt like I needed to come out of I I felt for years that like I didn't want to be dependent on him on the one hand but then I was completely dependent on him (laughs) so So then you resent that instead of being thankful yeah which is terrible it's a mess that's a mess (laughs) i and i think i think some of that was as you've said before that we were kind of brainwashed on from from all sides that number one we should be independent you know, the world was telling us that. And then, then we had, you know, the homeschool community and just different voices, you know, even our own, our own beliefs telling us that we should let them be the man in the family and, you know, that it's okay to be dependent on them. So we were so confused. At least I was. Yeah, well, it is confusing. And then, you know, when you're dependent on somebody, you know, they're also, it's not just financial dependence. It's, you know, and you're supposed to depend on each other. It should be more balanced, I think. And it doesn't necessarily mean a financial balance because the person that's working from home and if there is a stay-at-home parent, they're contribution is extremely valuable but it's looked down upon now in society as worthless unless you don't have somebody doing it and then you need to pay somebody to do all that work then all of a sudden it's a value like it it blows me away that a daycare provider is valuable but a stay-at-home mother isn't Right. Because Because they're just moms for hire. Yeah. You know, you're just hiring a mom who's spread way thinner than you are. 
(laughs) Well, I mean, that whole thing is part of economics and, you know, they, it's all about, they want us to have more money to buy stuff. Right. They don't care. They don't care about our kids. At this point, it's becoming, they want us to have more money just to stay in an apartment or in a house and pay for utilities. It's not even, you know, things so much anymore for regular people because people are just having such a hard time making regular ends meet, let alone raising large families or, you know, and it's just, it's a lot. Well, I mean, it hasn't, it hasn't been that long. I mean, even in our lifetime, you know, stay home moms were a thing and now they're a rarity. I mean, you know, our, my mom was one of the first, you know, she was a stay home mom, but then she started working when she was like 30. Yeah. My mom, John's mom never worked. My mom stayed home until I was in second or third grade. And she, then she worked part-time. She didn't work full-time. And then she started her own business when I was about 11. I mean, and I know that women have always worked in different ways. But, but it, was still, it was still daycare centers were just not that common. That was not, like what I said, when we moved up here, there was one daycare center. It was run by a church. It was in a basement. It was dank. It was dark. It was just, it was horrible. Yeah, because not because like you said, it was, you know, extended family. Right. If the woman had to work or chose to work, you know, there were women who were nurses, teachers, you know, the more like traditional back then female jobs you know the grandmother or the aunt or the neighbor took care of the kids I mean my mom did home home daycare you know in the 60s right for for other women who worked so I mean it wasn't unheard of no just that it's just that women staying home was also acceptable right Whereas now you're almost considered some kind of elitist if you, if you stay home. Well, some, you know, sometimes now it's more, there's more men staying home. Yeah. Because the the women has a better job. job. You know, but it's still like dads aren't going to be moms. Not the same thing. (laughs) But then there's the whole, there's a whole class, a very large growing class where those women couldn't stay home if they wanted to. No. And and the day and their daycare is paid for by the state. Correct. That's correct. There's a lot of that in New York, or at least part of it is paid for. And to me, that. To me, that's not right. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be basically forced to leave your child when they're six weeks old because the economy is so messed up that um, get a decent job and support you. It's not even like that. It's, you know, that's kind of not how that is. 
It's not yeah. because a man can't get a decent job and support you. It's um, the daycare will cover a single parent who's on social services to actually help them to move in a direction to get a better job. So while well, I'm, I'm talking school, about married couples, married couples where both of them are making, you know, 10 bucks an hour. Right. It's still supposed, it's supposed to be there to help you be able to support your family. It's not used properly. It's like everything else, you know, people either get a step up because they get assistance or they don't step up and they stay in a home. Well, that's a whole nother topic of why there's so many low paying jobs. That's a whole nother subject. Well, because all of a sudden, you know, these entry level positions are, are turning into lifetime careers, which is ridiculous. You know, nobody should be flipping burgers in McDonald's at 35 years old. <laughs> or 55. Well, 55 if you're like done with your career and you just want to get the hell out of your house. some people are like you know they need to have a job even if it's a low-paying job they just need to work for their brain you know that's how I, I mean I've always worked I've always had jobs that paid money just not enough not enough to support me you know it was enough to pay for swim team or enough to pay for nursery school it was for the extras mm-hmm my money always went for like the extra stuff, you know. Yeah, because your your husband was making enough money to pay for rent and food and your basic necessities, right? But a lot of a lot of men these days don't make enough to even cover the rent because rent is so high. Rent is ridiculous. It's ridiculous, and you can't even get like there used to be like little basement apartments. That kids would take, you know, and then, to, you know, they would get a roommate and they would split it. And now it's like whole families living together. You know? Yeah, I mean, like my kids, my kids, you know, they would like to have a stay home mother to their children. But they're like, it's that's not even possible in this economy. You know, they don't even see that as being possible. And, you know, of course, I try to encourage them, but. You know, uh, that's how the younger generation sees their possibilities these days. They don't even think they can make enough money because housing and and everything else is so expensive. Well, this is where families are supposed to pop in and help themselves, help their families. And this is what we've lost. It's like we ended up building our house with my father-in-law and mother-in-law on their property. That was, you know, something that came to be like that. Um, If we didn't have this place, we probably would have had someplace else, but it would have taken, I don't know if it would have taken more work because we built it with our hands. I don't know what the alternative would have been, but families need to, at this point, because of the way the economy is, We need to start rethinking, okay, everybody's not moving away now. Everybody needs to stay together. Having an adult child live home doesn't make them a child, you know? So they have Mm -hmm. adult responsibilities within the home. 
Yeah, but our situation is pretty, it's not really that common. You know, we have so many kids. You know, most people only have two kids. I get that. Like, my parents only had two kids. We're we're kind of hanging on to the old ways. <laughs> we needed help. I think we need to go back to some of the old ways yeah. where parents, you know, are available to help their their kids start their families. What what this conversation started out, or what, what I really wanted to talk to about, or was acknowledging selfishness. Just acknowledging in ourselves, in ourselves. Yes, in owning, our, no. owning it, owning, owning it. it. Yeah, and the and how you ended up where you end up is from decisions that you made, that you made. You didn't have to be a stay-at-home mom. You didn't have to homeschool. We didn't have to have as many children as we. All of these are decisions that either we made ourselves or we made with our partner. So resent, resenting the decisions that we consciously made, and they were conscious decisions, whether or not going back, you go, wow, I was brainwashed or whatever. They still were conscious decisions. Holding on to resentment and blame of another person because of decisions you consciously made is a trick I think is a trick of the devil I really do yeah no I think you're right and I mean I don't regret are my choices I think um just being ungrateful and not recognizing how blessed yes. I am and 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 you know thinking that it has to be perfect all the time and you know expecting other people to accommodate my moods you know that's selfishness yes or even to be you know we want everybody to be um, appreciative and acknowledge how much that we do but we need to start throwing that appreciative thing out you know we need to appreciate more and be grateful more and you know, I, I put on my, you know, my daily to do, make sure you kiss your husband. I used to put on my calendar, play with Yorick because he was so quiet and used to hide and I'd have to like seek him out and just play with him because otherwise he'd just melt into the structure. Mm-hmm. So Faith got a phone call and we got interrupted for a few minutes and when she came back, we started talking about some of the the things that we've learned about ourselves as we've as we've gotten older, and something about when you when you hit you know perimenopause and menopause, you're basically when you turn fifty or even fifty five, um, you start to look at your life, and sometimes it makes your marriage a little difficult. Until you can work through what you see, and so in this in this part, you know, it it may not be quite as fun as the first half or the first part, but I feel like there's some some valuable 
um, experience and learnings. And so I'm going to go ahead and leave this section in. And I hope that it will help someone who may be going through that difficult time in their marriage where they're possibly thinking that things are too hard and working through, um, you know, the difficult growth process and the transitioning to older marriage, um, you know, it can, it can happen. It can work. You can do it. And it just, you know, sometimes it takes a little, a little self-awareness, a little humility, a little asking forgiveness, a little understanding, a little willingness to compromise and to realize that you're not perfect either. And a willing, a little willingness to realize that the other person, you know, is probably struggling too. And I, I feel very blessed that Faith and I have each other that we've, we've been able to work through some of these difficult months together over the past, you know, few years. And, you know, I, I really encourage other women to support each other through these years. And don't, don't encourage your friend to abandon their husband just because things aren't perfect. You know, have them listen to this podcast and maybe it'll help them or some something else. But, you know, there's always hope and it's it's a tragedy when people have been married for many years and they just decide that it's not worth it anymore and they walk off and it just doesn't have to be that way. So I hope that you will enjoy the second half of this. Thanks for listening. Hey, are we in? Well, we're talking about owning, owning our choices, right? And my sister told me, my, my wise sister told me long ago <laughs> that, and she was right, that unless you're literally a slave or someone is like threatening you with your life, then most of the time people do what they choose to do. I mean, yes, our neurological systems like things to stay the same, feel safety and sameness. And so our reactions are oftentimes whatever, however we expect the reactions to be. And that's why sitting down this morning, I was like this, by having any kind of blame on another human being, even your life partner, to blame them for your decisions is selfish and wrong. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that's a very wise and mature um, belief to have. It's very freeing. We also have this tendency to pray and ask God to change our spouse. Lord, yeah. change him. Make him see the errors of his ways. Change his heart. Give him, you know, Lord, convict him on this, that, and the other thing. On how he's treating me. So, selfish prayers? <laughs> and that is ugly stuff. Well, we're supposed to pray for their 
for their good. We want we want to pray for what's good for them. Lord, but bring I, him joy. Time, Lord, help of, me yeah. to make good decisions that will affect my family in a positive way. Lord, change my heart so that I can see why this is happening and I can do what I need to do to change a situation. Help me be patient while you work on him. (laughs) Help me be patient while you work on me. Yeah, right. I'm the one that needs the work. Even if I'm in an abusive relationship, I need the work to give me the confidence to change, which would mean to get out. Right. God doesn't want us abused or unhappy. And And God doesn't want the other person to to control. Yes. God doesn't want the other person to be an abuser. (laughs) No. Right. But it boils down to control. We don't want to control ourselves. We want to control other people. Right. We want to control the circumstance. We want to control what somebody else is doing. We want to be angry because that person isn't doing what we think they should be doing. Exactly. And I'm not talking about a toddler and something that's dangerous that they don't have the maturity to understand. You're talking about another adult. Even a child. Like if a child decides I'm not kissing grandma because I don't want to kiss grandma, us forcing them to do it because it's the right thing to do is not the right thing to do. Keeping them from running in a road in front of a car is the right thing to do. You know, so there are, yeah. there, you know, there are things, you know, there are certain things. Keep the child away. Teach the child not to pull a pot off the stove. But if they're going for it, you're going to move them. There are certain things you have to have control over and responsibility for. Yeah, but you shouldn't try to control another person's feelings, their their opinions, their personal preferences, you know. It was easier for me to find fault in everything and everybody, including myself, but I would hold them to a higher standard. The standard was higher. Why aren't you making it easier for me to change these things about myself that are wrong? What the heck is that? (laughs) And this is something like I'm super grateful to my husband for this. I've had the time over the last year to really dig down and start to heal. And he gave me that opportunity. I think this is an important point to think about is why is it so hard to be truly grateful for things what is blocking that you know because you know sometimes it's hard to be it's like I know I should be I should be thankful but then but you don't really feel thankful inside you know it's like what is blocking that um fear I think fear is one of the things you're well, that's why I said fear of being taken advantage of like, or maybe like if I admit being, I think some of it is like you're, you're, you can't, 
you know, like what you ever do, like one of those Thanksgiving things where like, you're going to write something you're grateful for every day. And like the first, it, it comes trite. Yeah. Instead of honest, like gratefulness should happen in, in as a, as a, an emotion that overcomes you, not as a responsibility. And that's where it's where true gratefulness is not. I'm going to sit down and write 10 things I'm grateful for every day. And then you start being grateful for the pencils and grateful for the erasers on the pencils. And, you know, you start getting ridiculous is what it comes down to. And it's, it's just, it's not real and it's not true. And it's not honest. That's not honest gratuity. Well, does that come back to what, what I said earlier about someone else, like telling us how to feel yeah. And I think even just like the triteness of the the gratefulness movement. Yeah. Attitude of gratitude. Gotta have an attitude of gratitude. Gotta be grateful. You know, show your gratefulness all the time. You know, that kind of thing. It becomes, oh, I'm thankful for the refrigerator and I'm thankful there are eggs in my refrigerator. Well, no shit. Everybody's thankful for those, you know, people that have those things are thankful for them and people that don't have those things wish they had those things. But that's not a feeling of actual gratefulness. It's it's not coming from an honest place. Because who doesn't who doesn't deserve to have a refrigerator with some eggs in there? You know, <laughs> you know. I mean, we've come to expect it in this country. There are minimums, a roof on wow. your head. You know. That, I think that's why. That's why. Uh... You know, when something terrible happens and you lose it all or you think you're going to lose it all, suddenly you realize just how good you had it. And you and then the gratefulness become... is real. Right. right. I don't think happiness is something that we're supposed to strive for 24-7, no matter what they say on social media. I think happiness is elusive. Well, I think if you're looking for happiness in a certain level of income or possessions, you're not going to be happy. No, because that's not what happiness is. And happiness, you know, it's like happiness should happen about 50%. Because. But but what does marketing, what does marketing and social media tell us? That if you have this, if you do this fun thing right right if you're if you look young if you're thin yeah you, yeah. you know you need you need all these the right external, yeah all these external things that cost money to be happy well i think financial security definitely plays into a level of calm and happiness but like you said poor people can be happy too if they have financial security, some people who are poor have financial security in this country, especially the, the topic the of marriage and, you know, um, choices in marriage and everything we talked about earlier. It really does come down to expectations of what is going to make us happy. And so that's because that's how we make our choices right well i'm gonna do this because this is going to give me some kind of happiness or we're not gonna choose to do things that we don't expect us to make to give us happiness. who you know it's like 
we were it was so weird like our generation was sold this weird bill of goods on the one hand we had the waltons and happy days and little house on the prairie and you know work hard strive build your family family closest is the most important thing and then we're living in a culture where our mom said f this and went back to work burned their bras, you know, <laughs> left us to turn the key to come home and eat Chef Boyardee out of a can. And it left us desiring family and tradition and a foundation and community and culture because we didn't have it. phone died so I didn't get to say goodbye to Faith but I we were about to wrap things up anyway so I hope that you you see that we don't know it all but we really do love our families and our husbands and we love God and we want to please God and because of those things we have often tried really hard in our own power rather than trusting God to to just give us the grace that he does give us and at least for me I can't speak for faith Um, that is one thing that I'm learning in my old age is that I can trust God and that God really does love me and that I don't need to worry so much about you know am I doing it right am I doing it right and if I just rest in him and let him show me the way he does he does every time and I think a lot of I get myself in trouble a lot of times because I just get so impatient and I want things to happen faster and I want to be in control and that's something we talked about you know that was a a common theme in both of our lives as we we both wanted a lot of control over things and And that actually kind of, you know, backfired on us quite a few times, and especially me. And so, you know, you live and you learn, and thank God, you know, he has, he has kept us together, he's kept my marriage together, and her marriage together, and with, you know, with continued uh, grace from him, we'll, it'll, we will continue. So, if you have any questions or comments, please send them to Blue Skies and Green Pastures blog at gmail.com or leave me an anchor message. And I hope you'll share this podcast if you found it worth listening to. And also, if you're listening on Apple Podcast, please leave me a review. And also subscribe and follow, depending on what app you listen to. If you listen on Spotify, hit the follow button. If you listen on Apple, hit the subscribe button. But there are so many different apps. Whichever one you like is is great. And I just really appreciate you listening. So may God bless your marriage and your children. And as you seek to serve him and to trust him with your life and uh, take care bye now